All right, Jonah chapter 2. Grab a Bible and uh, turn there. There are Bibles sitting uh, on the seats. If you need one, you didn't bring one with you, you can also use your app on your phone if you want to do that. And you can scroll there rather than flipping. It's a pretty cool tool that we have. We always have the scripture on the screen as well. If you don't have a Bible of your own and you've got a hold of one of those Bibles in the seats, we just encourage you to take that home. We'd be really glad for you to have that. Um, what we're doing is we are in four weeks in the book of Jonah. This is also kind of the Lent season for those of the high church tradition. Jesus actually connects Easter with the story of Jonah, which is kind of neat. In the, in the book of Matthew, he connects Easter with the story of Jonah, that just as Jonah is in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and then comes out to declare a message, likewise Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. He resurrects, he conquers the grave, and he declares the greatest message of all time, that he defeated Satan, sin, and death for us. And so it's kind of cool that just before Easter, we are getting into the book of Jonah. And today we're in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, this little book is, is great. It, it's recorded uh, by Jonah himself, most likely. Uh, most of the prophets will record their message, but Jonah records his story, which is interesting. He, he records his story. And I think the reason he does that is because Jonah makes a lot of mistakes, and we can learn from Jonah's uh, mistakes. And so last week we looked at Jonah chapter 1, and it was very, very foundational to this four-chapter little book. And so let me just spend a few minutes recapping, if I can, for those who aren't familiar with the story. Jonah is a messenger of God. He's a prophet of God. God tells him, I want you to go to this great city called Nineveh, and I want you to share this message of my uh, impending judgment upon these people. Well, Jonah knows a lot about Nineveh. He knows that Nineveh was incredibly wicked. I mean, they were, they were unbelievably wicked. And so Jonah just straight up to God says, nope, I know that's my job. I'm not, I'm not going. Here's why. He knows that God has this proclivity to share uh, and show grace, to pardon the rebellious people. The Ninevites uh, were rebellious. And the irony of this is that Though Jonah is told to go share this message of God's grace to these rebellious people and saying, no, I'm not going to go. Now he is one of the rebellious people himself. He didn't want them to receive God's grace. And so he says, no, I'm not going to share the message of your judgment because I know you, God, and you're going to relent. And so he says, not going. In fact, what he does is he goes the opposite direction and Jonah heads west and he gets on a boat uh, towards Tarshish. And uh, flees the scene, runs from God. He rebels, and he's uh, rebelling from God. What God does then is God sends this storm out in the Mediterranean to uh, get his uh, attention. And this storm comes, and everybody starts to realize this storm is Jonah's fault. The boat that Jonah is on is about to go down. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're praying to false gods. They're trying to do whatever they can do uh, so that they can live. And finally, they realize... It's Jonah's fault. God in his sovereignty shows them it's, it's Jonah's fault. And so they say, they determine uh, with Jonah's help that we've got to throw him overboard. And so they throw him overboard. And as soon as Jonah gets off that boat, fleeing away from God, he falls into the water and the storm stops immediately. Now, according to chapter 2, as we read on today, we'll see that as he hits the water, he keeps sinking and sinking and sinking and sinking to the bottom of the ocean where he will die uh, if something doesn't change, he will die in his uh, rebellion. But rather than dying at sea, what God does is God sends a great fish to come and to uh, rescue Jonah. He'll be there for three days and three nights. What God does is rather than letting him drown at sea, he saves him uh, from death. Now, 
Here's where we all kind of need to bring ourselves into the story. Because we got to see ourselves in the Jonah story. Is that we need to admit that we all have a tendency to rebel against God. Some of you are straight up like, no, no doubt. <laughs> Look at my life. I've been rebelling against God. There's, there's no doubt about that. We, we don't like to uh, have somebody else in charge of our own lives. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. And we have to if we're going to follow the leading of the Lord. We especially don't like to be told what to do when it doesn't really jive with our own plans. And that's where Jonah found himself. He was rebelling because it didn't jive with his plans to go to Nineveh and to tell these people uh, the message of the Lord. Now, one thing this story seems to highlight is the fact that, yeah, we all rebel. Again, some of us it's really obvious, and others of us maybe it's not so obvious. It was very obvious for the Ninevites that they were rebelling from God. I mean, they were brutal, brutal people, as I say. They were uh, killing children, raping women. They were uh, torturing men. Like I said last week, they would dig post holes, drop the men inside of the post holes so that the only thing sticking out of the hole was their head. They would often pull their tongue out, stake it to the ground, and just let these guys die of insanity. They would cut off heads, and their calling card, remember on Batman, the Joker has a calling card? Their calling card was to make a pyramid of heads outside of the cities where they have been to say, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, have been here. And so... It was obvious their rebellion. And then there's maybe the not-so-obvious Jonah. He was a a prophet of God. Uh, He was spiritual. He was religious. But it becomes obvious when the word of God crosses paths with this really bad heart that this supposed man of God has. And he says, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, God. It doesn't jive with my plans. It kind of frustrates me. And we see that he also is rebellious. And we all have rebellion. I think just studying and preparing this week kind of showed my tendency towards rebellion, from things like the rebellion of my youth uh, to just recent rebellion of struggling with maybe unforgiveness of my heart at times. We all rebel, and we all need to start to think about how have we rebelled in the past? How do we tend to rebel over and over and over again? And we all rebel. We need to just lock on to that truth. Now, since we all rebel, here's what that means. Since we all rebel, we all need grace. We all need grace. What is grace? Very simply, grace is when you get what you don't deserve. That's grace. Positive, when you get what you don't deserve. And divine grace is when we get from God what we don't deserve. From God, we get what we don't deserve. Uh, Which puts it really on an entirely different level. If I give you something, a gift, or something that you just don't deserve, that's nice. It's gracious. But when God gives you something that you don't deserve... It's unbelievably gracious. That's amazing grace because it's from God. And and Jonah is is really a story of God's mercy and God's grace. It starts with God's mercy and it moves on to his grace. Uh, It it starts with his his grace where you get what you, or his mercy where you, he he doesn't get what he deserves. And and he doesn't get that that just immediate death for rebelling uh, from the Lord. And he gets what he doesn't deserve. Uh, he, he gets God's protection. He gets God's love. He gets God's care. He gets uh, the opportunity to uh, retake his, his role as a, as a prophet of God. And so Jonah receives both mercy and grace. His rebellion was huge. You've got to understand his rebellion was huge because his rebellion was uh, against God. And so what did he deserve? He deserved death. He deserved punishment. He deserved the wrath of God. But what did he receive? He received God's mercy. 
He didn't get what he deserved. And God was like a judge who pardons a convicted criminal. He pardoned Jonah, who was clearly guilty. But God didn't just leave it at mercy. God also gave him grace. He gave him what he didn't deserve, protection, the opportunity to resume his role as prophet, protection from the, the Ninevites as well. He, later in the story, you'll see he gives him a plant to, to shade him um, from the, the heat. And so God gives him these, these great gifts. He doesn't simply say, I'll pardon you, but he says, not only will I pardon a convicted criminal, but I will show great love. Kind of reminds me of the prodigal son. You know the story, right? Takes all his dad's money. He squanders it on just crazy living. When he runs out of money, he comes back to God. He's guilty. He just was a jerk to his father. And what does his father do? He doesn't simply say, I won't punish you, son. But he also throws him a party. That's mercy and grace displayed. He, he didn't give him what he deserved, and then he gave him what he uh, didn't deserve. And so, man, it's just such a great story of, of Jonah because it applies to us that we need God's mercy and we need God's grace. And so what I want to do for the next little while together is just kind of sink our teeth into God's grace a little bit and just chew on it a little bit. And like I said in my prayer, I believe that it's just going to kind of come at you at different places where you're at in your life. You might need one thing more than another, but I just pray that it will really uh, be encouraging to you. And so we'll look at Jonah chapter 2, and this is Jonah praying to God now from inside the belly of this uh, fish. Now, for many of us, we've grown up kind of hearing the Jonah story, uh, read to us as a child or seen on a cartoon on TV, um, and we read about it, and so we kind of have, if you're like me, have this picture, and I've seen it in one of my kids' books, is there's this picture of Jonah inside of the belly of the fish, and he's got a little candle, and he's sitting upright in the, in the belly of the whale, like, all right, yeah, I'm alive, it's great. And he's smiling, and it's all good. Now, uh, this is a, a miracle that should be celebrated. It is a great thing that God has done, but we don't read anything about Jonah being comfortable in the fish. We don't read anything about him sitting up and smiling, and he's got a candle um, I picture Jonah uh, inside of a fish uh, after a near-death experience and still kind of wondering what in the world is going on. I picture him curled up in the fetal position in this nasty, slimy uh, fish, dark and, and, and afraid, but alive, right? I mean, he's, he's alive. And so in this season, these three days, three nights in the belly of this fish, he learns a lot about the grace of God. And so, uh, again, for the rest of our time together as we see Jonah pray, I want us to learn a little bit more about the grace of God through Jonah's prayer. We'll just kind of track it piece by piece. And uh, since we're all up inside of this fish here uh, where Jonah receives these lessons on grace, I just want to call this the anatomy of grace. All right, so the anatomy of grace. Here's number one. God's grace is available to all who will call on him. God's grace, it's, it, it's available. And some of us are in here like, no, nah, not me. No, it is available to you. And I hope by the end of this you'll see that God's grace is available to every single one of you who would call on him. Look, look at me at Jonah chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, after being swallowed by the whale at the end of chapter 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So Jonah will tell us here that I was in distress I was at the, the, the belly of Sheol, which is another biblical term for hell. In other words, I was dying at, at sea. I was sinking to the bottom, the depths of the sea. I was hellbound, and I called out to the Lord, and God heard me. He, he saved me. 
And we need to understand that Jonah's physical condition here, sinking to the bottom of the sea, really reflects Jonah's spiritual condition. His, his physical condition really speaks a lot to his, his spiritual condition. Physically, he was dying. He'd been thrown overboard into the ocean. And, and again, a lot of us have these pictures that we have because we hear these stories so frequently. If, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you have this picture of Jonah after being thrown overboard, just kind of bobbing you know, in the sea, just floating in the sea. But we read through this chapter that, no, he's not just floating in the sea waiting for the next thing. He's sinking, right? He's dying. And, and the following verses will say things like, waves and billows passed over me. Waters closed in over me to take my life. Uh, seaweed wrapped around my head. So you can just picture, he's scrambling for his life. He's sinking. He's got seaweed all over his face. He's choking. And physically, he was dying. But we also need to know that spiritually, he was dying. Why? Because he was rebelling against God. He said, I don't want you, God. I'm not going to do this with you. I'm done with you, God. And we're all in this position because of our sin. Romans chapter 3.23 will say that we've all sinned. We've all sinned. Every single one of us. There's no one righteous. No, not one, the scripture will say. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, will tell us that the wages of sin is death. And we have sinned against God, and the result is death. We've separated ourselves from the one who has given us life. And so the result is uh, death physically and death spiritually. So physically, there's no doubt that that we're dying, right? Some of us, maybe we feel like we're going to live forever, but as you, you, know, you start to cross like that 25, 30 line, I think 30 is the magic number, and suddenly you're like, oh man, like it's just, it's, it's gone. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting old, right? And so we, what happens, statistically speaking, it says that every person, once they get to a certain age, will actually shrink two inches by the end of their life. We're just, we're kind of wasting away. Hair starts to fall out. Skin starts to get wrinkled. Your back goes out. Arthritis. I think we understand that, that physically we die, and yet spiritually we also die. That eternal part of us, the spirit, is, is also dying. It's, it's hell-bound. Jonah was uh, dying both inside, and he was also dying outside. His physical condition really spoke to his spiritual condition and that really is true of all of us that that physically we're dying we're, we're dying and, and and some of us it's not as obvious as it was for Jonah here which I think can actually serve to deceive us we think you know what I'm healthy I'm good and so I'm all right and we get deceived into thinking that we're okay I'll never forget um, walking through brain cancer with uh, this young guy named Steve in my ministry out in Princeton Mass because his physical condition was getting really bad, his spiritual condition was a little bit easier for him to see. Because his physical condition for him really reflected his spiritual condition. And Steve came to know the Lord that year. And though his physical condition continued to deteriorate to the point of he passed, his spiritual condition was restored. That he was saved from the eternal consequences of sin because he called out to Jesus and he trusted and Jesus and his battle with cancer was was really good for leading him to the Lord and restoring his uh, most important condition, the, the part of him that lasts forever, that is the, the spirit. And I think for many of us, our, our physical condition, you know, it's it's not like Steve's, obviously. It's not so much like Jonah's right now. We're not dying, we're not fully aware of that. We don't realize like them that our days are numbered and so we tend to just not call out to God and we live as though we don't need him that's why 
historically speaking, and certainly in my ministry, the, the people with the most obvious needs, whether it be emotionally or spiritually or, or physically or economically, those are the people who tend to be more receptive to the message of Jesus because they understand my days are numbered because they have kind of come to an end of themselves. And so that's why sometimes God will use a storm or trial to it gets our attention. It actually can be a sign of God's compassion. The worst thing, scriptures allude to, the worst thing that God could do is just say, go your own way, do whatever you want, be blessed, just be encouraged, and just live in prosperity financially. Sometimes that's the worst thing that God can do, just let you go. Some of the best things he can do is actually to send a storm, as he does with Jonah, to get our attention, to wake us up. And so for some of us, it's not so obvious that we need the Lord physically because we're not where Jonah is, we're not where Steve is. Others of us, it's really obvious. Maybe you just think about your own life, and you're like, man, my life is a mess. I'm going my own way, and it's not working. What happens with Jonah? In his physical distress and in his spiritual distress, verse 2 says what? It says, he called out to the Lord. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Listen, you, you need to hear this. Should you call out to the Lord, he wants to answer you. He wants to answer you. Listen, the Bible gives us no promise of physical healing. No, we're called to pray for it. We're called to ask for it. However, it does promise us. The Bible promises us spiritual healing. Should we call out to the Lord, he will save us from the eternal consequences of our sin. He will save us. That's why Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will will be saved. Maybe today is your day to call upon the name of the Lord in your distress and to be saved. Whatever that looks like for you, I just pray that you would call upon Jesus and trust in him and be saved from your spiritual condition and the fact that we're all deteriorating in our spirit apart from Christ. Or should you trust in Jesus though your body wastes away, you can say, as that great song says, there's no Fear in life, fear in death, right? I can just go on passing. My spirit is sanctifying and growing to glory while I'll be with him forever. New heaven, new earth, and I'll receive a glorified body. And maybe this is your day to trust in Jesus who has died for you. He's come to earth, God in the flesh, took on uh, humanity, lived perfectly, therefore not deserving the wage of sin, death, but yet he lays his life down. They didn't kill Jesus. Jesus laid his life down. He let them kill and he could have jumped right off the cross as they mocked him and said he could have. He could have. But he said, I'm going to hang up here and I'm going to die taking your penalty for sin so that should you call out to me, I will say, yes, my death in place of your eternal spiritual death. And then he resurrects to life to say, yep, I am God. I now sit at the right hand of the Father. I am in control of all things and we are saved. It's such a gift of grace. And grace is available to all of us should we call on him and should we say, I want it, God. I need it, God. Just like Jonah says, I called out to him in my distress, and he answered me. He answered me. It's, a, it's available. Maybe you need to do that uh, today. I would plead with you to do that. Here's the next thing. Next truth about grace is this, that, that God's grace is amplified when we see the depths of our sin. God's grace is amplified. It gets magnified when we see the depths of our sin. Jonah will go on to acknowledge to God, just how near to death he was. Look at verses 3 through 6a with me. It says, For you cast me into the deep, 
into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so Jonah is, he's almost dead here. He's, he's almost dead. And he says, I was at the heart of the seas. The, the floods surrounded me. Waves and billows are passing over me. Water closes in on me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed around my neck. The roots of the mountain. That means under the sea, there are these, these mountains. He says, I was at the roots of the mountain. I was way down there. He says, the bars closed upon me forever. I mean, the prison of death was upon me. I would be dead forever. Done, he says. His point I was as good as dead at that point. Now, just as a side note here, notice that Jonah says, he says, God, you cast me into the deep. Your ways and billows passed over me. A huge theme in uh, this book, this little book of Jonah, is that God has sovereign control over even nature. So God controls a storm in chapter 1. He controls the sea in chapter 1 and 2. He controls the fish in chapter 1 and 2. He controls a, a, a plant in chapter 4. He controls a worm in chapter 4. I mean, God is sovereign in control over all of nature. I've been reading uh, the biography of Jonathan Edwards, and it has all these little snippets of things that Jonathan Edwards says. He's a, a famous pastor from Northampton, Mass., where my wife was born. And one thing I love about Jonathan Edwards is that he's always fascinated with science, just totally into science. And he was a contemporary of Isaac Newton, who was also fascinated with science, obviously, and seeing God in, in, in science. And we need to be careful not to think and buy in, as the world would like to tell us, that both science and faith are just mutually exclusive. That is so not true. They actually go hand in hand. In our church family, we've had a, a Harvard doctor, researcher, medical professors, or professionals, and chemistry students, and, and we can hold these two things uh, hand in hand. In, in the book of Jonah, these elements will speak to God's power. We need to just say, no, God is in control of all these things, and they're beautiful, and we can see that God, uh, when we look into a microscope, or when we look into the sky, it can point us to God, and even here, it can point us to God. Now, in verses 3 through 6a, Jonah points out these elements to, to show us just how dead he was. I mean, he says, I was just dead, and he wants to show us that because God's grace is really amplified, made bigger when we just see the depths of our sin. We see just how far God reaches into humanity to, to, to rescue us. And the gift of his grace becomes amplified. We see how amazing it is that he was a man running from God. He said, I'm done with doing what you called me to do. I had the great privilege and responsibility to be a prophet of God for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But I said no to God. I abandoned my post. I'm dying here, which I deserve. I love the fact that there's this this little section here in between him jumping off the ship when he said, I, I, I'll turn from my sin and I'll acknowledge my sin to when God rescues him at the bottom of the sea. There's this, there's this little gap in the story of this prayer line so that we can see he's getting what he deserved. What he deserved was death. And so it just shows us, it reminds us what we deserve. It's serious sin. And when we see that, it really magnifies how incredible it is that God gives them the gift of grace. You all know the song, Amazing Grace, perhaps the most recognizable song uh, in the world today. In it is that famous line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved uh, a wretch like me. 
such a beautiful song, as you uh, may know. It was sang on both sides of the, the Civil War. Those men were singing it. It was sung by the Cherokee Indians as they walked on the Trail of Tears. It was uh, sung at civil rights marches. It was sung the day when Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. It was sung when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. It was sung when the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. It was sung on September 11th. It was sung when the New Orleans Saints come marching back into the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina, this famous, powerful song. It's a song that comforts those people who are hurting. Maybe you've been comforted by it. Maybe you sang it at a funeral before, and it will soften the hearts of people who have been hardened. It was written by this man named John Newton, who was a slave trader. Slave trader trafficking thousands of slaves. And then in 1748, this violent storm comes and it's about to kill him. And the people on his boat are about to sink, they're about to die. And he falls to his knees and he starts to cry out to God for, for mercy. And he survived. And he turns from his sin of trafficking humans as those are their property. And he turns to Jesus and he becomes a pastor. He didn't deserve to be forgiven. He didn't deserve to lead people in his church family. In 1772, he writes that song. We now know as Amazing Grace. It was called Faith's Review and Expectation. Unbelievable. The way he treated human beings. And yet the fact that God saved him and God loved him and God showed him mercy and God showed him grace to the point that he could say, amazing grace. I mean, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that would save a wretch. That's a strong word. Because I was a wretch. I mean, I was far from God. And yet he saves me. We've all been far from God. We've all been in places where we're in need of grace. We all still are every breath in need of grace, maybe you're there right now, God gives it. He gives it. And it's important to remember where we've come from, just how far we've been, how wretched we have been, because what it does is it magnifies God and his goodness that he would give us his grace. He would give us a clean slate. That's why Jonah records uh, these moments here so that we could see, wow, he was far from God and then he was near death getting exactly what he deserved. But God in his amazing grace saves him, saves him. And it's available to all of us. Moving forward, God's grace is able to change your life. That's where we need to now really say, okay, it's available to me. Great gift it actually can be applied into your life. Look at verses 6b through 7. So all of this, right? All of this. Jonah is as good as dead, and he says this. He says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Second time he says holy temple. He's remembering the grace of God that the Old Testament system, the Mosaic system of sacrifices, 
speaking now to us to the grace of God that we can come straight to the throne of grace because of Jesus. That's why I keep saying, holy temple. He says, I pray to you, God. My prayer came up to you in your holy temple. You received it in your amazing grace. Amazing grace. Some of us maybe feel like I'm too far gone for God to save me. Maybe some of us feel like I'm too into this lifestyle that God could free me from it. Maybe some of us feel like I'm too addicted to this, whatever it may be. Maybe some of us feel like I have far too greatly offended God. Maybe some of us feel like I'm a repeat offender. It's not necessarily what you did. It's the fact that you do it over and over and over and over again. You keep pleading with him for mercy and grace. Listen, you are not too far. He is able to extend his grace to you and able to change your life. He's extending that gift of grace to to every single one of us. And I can relate with you in all of these. God doesn't want to forgive this. This is so ugly. I keep failing in this one particular area. I can relate with this. Yet his grace is extended. That's why he says, yet, God, I was so bad off. Yet, God, you brought me up from the pit. You heard my prayers that came up to you and you saved me. Amazing. Be reminded of all the people of faith that the Bible highlights. That's one of the many things that I love about this book. Is that the book, it gives you so many unbelievable stories and they're just people that we can all relate with. And you read of a bunch of people who messed up big time, right? You think about like Moses, he killed an Egyptian. That's kind of a big deal. None of us have murdered, have we? Hope not. He killed an Egyptian. Rahab, prostitute. She's recorded in Hebrews as this great woman of faith. David, an adulterer. And then has his mistress, uh, her husband, killed. How about Peter? Denies Jesus three times on the night that he was being uh, brought to the cross where he's going to be killed and put to trial. Denies him. I don't know. I don't know. And yet he becomes this leader among the disciples. Paul, straight up, murdered Christians. Murdered Christians. But God's grace was extended, and it changed these guys. John Newton, this wicked slave trader. God's grace changed him. Don't ever, ever think, according to these scriptures, and according to this story, tells us that you're never too far from God for his grace to change you. And I pray that when you fail again, and it will happen, that you'll, you're reminded, I can't be too far from God. Jonah tried to run as far away as he, as he could from where he was supposed to be, and yet God said, nope, right here with you. All along the way, there's God, oh, there's God, and here he comes over here, he messed up again, there's God. Two main characters of the story, Jonah and God. Everywhere Jonah is, God is there. He's right there. You can't be too far from him. Christians, don't ever, ever think that you have messed up one too many times. Um, I've received this grace. It was a great gift. It doesn't apply to me now because I received it and I abused it. No. No. That's why Jesus will tell Peter, he says, Peter, I want you to forgive 70 times 7 times. It's like, you just keep forgiving. Why does he tell him that? He says, that's what I do for my people. That's what I want you to do, is I want you to forgive. So when you realize just the extreme love of, of God, it changes you, doesn't it? When you see that, you're like, really? 
it, it, it changes you. You realize, I don't have to perform to earn his favor. That, that changes you. And it leads you to live this, this life of holiness. We don't live lives of holiness in order to earn his favor. Now, we, we earn his favor just by being alive and, and breathing unconditionally. He loves us. And when we see that love, it causes us to live a life of holiness. So many people have it flipped. So many religious systems have it flipped. So many, quote, Christians don't even get the gospel. So you don't earn his favor. His favor is given to you for free, and therefore you live holy. You don't live holy to get his favor. Just like I love my kids even though they mess up. No matter what, I love my kids. I love my kids. They can't do anything to cause me to stop loving them. Ever. Ever. And hopefully as they see my love and my affection towards them, it will cause them to want to live a life that honors mom and dad. Right? That's, that's how the Christian faith works. And grace is the best agent for life change. Rules are not. <laughs> the whole Old Testament law, the, the rules of the Old Testament are there to show you that you can't live up. Right? And then you say, well, I need some help. And God says, here's grace. And then as a result of that great grace and that love that he extends towards you, then you just overflow. Right? You just overflow. It's incredible, grace, and how it changes us. It's able to change every single one of you when you see the love that he has for you. It, it'll change you. It's incredible. He can do a great work in your life. You are not too far from God. God is powerful. His grace is amazing. Amazing. Let it change you. Jonah goes on. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay to you. He's not saying, like, God, I'll try to earn your love. He's saying, I'm just going to sacrifice you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to worship you because of your great grace. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's been said that that little line right there summarizes the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God is able to save. In these two verses, we see that, that God's grace is the alternative to unsatisfying idols that we have in our lives. Notice here that what Jonah does is he compares those people who worship idols to himself who is worshiping a gracious God. Verse 8 compared to verse 9. He points out that people will worship idols. And he says, and when you worship idols, whatever that may be, not necessarily little statues, little Buddhas. He says, when you worship idols, the idols that you set up on the throne of your heart, he says, here's what you're doing. You are forsaking the hope of steadfast love. This steadfast love that is upon you, you start worshiping idols, you're not going to find steadfast love. The idols that, that we worship in our lives don't love us back unconditionally, do they? You ever try to receive some love from your car? You get the sweet car, and you're like, oh man, I love this thing. You start to worship this thing. You ever loved, worshipped your career, and it doesn't love you back? <laughs> Anybody? You ever loved school so much, and you just thought it's just going to give me everything I ever wanted when I get that A? Nope, right? You ever loved and worshipped and created an idol out of 
family and they don't give it back to you? Success, comfort, sports, sex, person, whatever that idol is in your, your life, those idols disappoint you according to Jonah here. They just straight up, they will disappoint you. You are forsaking the hope of steadfast love. But the gracious God, he says, next verse, he's all satisfying. I will worship him. He loves me no matter what. And when Jonah gets a taste of God's grace, he just straight up starts to worship, doesn't he? Just love this. He's just worshiping. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, you are amazing. You are awesome. Love you, God. Verse 9. And in a minute here, we're going to begin to respond, and we're, we're going to begin to sing to the Lord about his grace, and, grace and, and worship him for it. And you get to say, man, God, you're all satisfying. I've tasted it. Some of you, for the first time, are going to turn to him and say, I want that grace. I'll receive it. And you're going to worship him for it, his grace that he, he gives you. It's amazing. Don't forsake your only hope of perfect, unconditional steadfast love and grace, and that is the Lord. I'm going to love my wife with everything that I have, but I'm not her hope of steadfast love. I'm going to mess up, right? The only hope of steadfast love is the Lord, right? He's the only hope. Don't forsake it by creating other idols in your life. Here's the last point. God's grace is a fresh start on your journey. And some of us need a fresh start right now. You're looking at where you're at, and you're like, man, I could use a fresh start. And God says, here it is. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Finally, three days and three nights, he's doing some belly work, is what I call it. In the heart of Jonah, he's working in Jonah, curled up in the fetal position probably, I don't know. He's doing some real deep work in his life and spits him up onto the, the sea there. Perfect timing, three days, three nights to be prophetic. And he's there. And I want to think through this. Where is Jonah right now? Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. He's right here, and he says, not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go over here, right? He goes over here, hops on this boat. God sends a storm, jumps over sea, gets in this fish. Fish brings him back, spits him up, and where's Jonah? He's right back where he started. Many of you, maybe especially Christians in this room, you're like, man, I am right back where I started, and it's driving you crazy. You ever look at your Christian faith and just feel like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Just make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. It's true, right? It's true of Jonah. He's right back where he started. He made no progress on the mission. But you know what? There was a lot of progress done in his heart, wasn't it? And so don't let yourself be just so discouraged to the point where you're just defeated and you can't move forward. Because though you feel like you've made no progress, in terms of where God's trying to bring you, he's done a lot of progress in your heart. He's really strengthened you and made you stronger, even in the midst of your failures. And that's why God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according, called according to his purposes. Even your sin, he can redeem that and make you better as a result of your 
mistakes. And so don't get discouraged by your lack of progress. Be encouraged now by the, the new opportunity that is in front of you. And God is extending his grace to every single one of us today. He's saying, I, I got it right in front of you, this, this big old beach. And the water's behind you, all your sin. There's no turning back. You have all this land in front of you. Let's head eastward towards Nineveh. Let's head eastward towards the mission that I have for you, and that is living a life of honoring me. And I already love you, even if you don't go. And the cool thing about this story, which kind of drives some people crazy, is that it ends with Jonah just messing up again. <laughs> it just kind of ends, and you're like, that's it? What? What happened? You get to the end of chapter 4, it will be very disappointing for you. If you love stories, I don't know, go watch Nicholas Sparks, because this isn't going to do it for you. He messes up again to say, guess what, guys? He's going to fail again, but God doesn't remove his grace. He loves him. He loves him. Incredible. And God's grace is extended to every single one of us today. Maybe some of us just need to receive it. He's given you this opportunity for a fresh start, and I want you to receive it. Whether you need to come to Jesus and be given a new life, be made a new creature by trusting in what he has done on the cross and his resurrection and saying, I need that payment for sin in place of my life because my life is going to give me exactly what I deserve. But if I trust in Jesus, I don't get what I deserve. I trusted in him, and he's done for me what I can't do for myself. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus and turn and start following him. And others of us are Christians in this room, and we just need to receive that grace and let it wash over us yet again. Because it's right here. wonder if anybody in this room has ever had a rebellious streak in their teenage years, college years maybe. Anybody? Uh, look back on your life, maybe later, I don't know. A lot of people have. I'll never forget the story uh, my friend David shared with me. He said I was a teenager, Josh. And, uh, man, my dad was a pastor. David was telling me. His dad was like a really strict, conservative pastor. And he said my dad was all on me. He's like, and then I made a, some crazy decisions in my life. Started getting messed up into some stuff I shouldn't be involved in. And uh, one night came home just trashed. I mean, I was throwing up all over the place. And usually I could hide it. He said, this night I couldn't hide it. I didn't know what I was going to do. My, my dad was going to see me for the first time. He said it was over. I come in. I'm like crawling. I'm mean, just throwing up a mess. He says, I was ready for my dad to smash me. You know what my dad did, Josh? He said, my dad picked me up as a teenage boy, pulled me to the edge of my bed, laid me down, and just held me. He said, and just loved me. He just was with me while I'm throwing up all over the place. Dad could have said, get out of my sight. I can't believe you. You're a disgrace to me. You're a disgrace to my church, my family. How no, he loved them. He said, and that act of grace changed things forever. He's like, he could have said, done, and been just, right? Justice. Or he could have said, get in here, give him a second chance, and just leave him alone. But he didn't just show mercy and not punish him. He, he loved on him and gave him more, just cared for him, was with him through the night. And that act of grace caused him to want to live in a way that honored his father, honored his Lord, changed his life. That's what God does for us. He's extending his hand of grace to every single one of you. No matter where you're at, 
never turned to Jesus, you turn to Jesus and you're at it again. He loves you. He's taken you back and he wants to hold you. That's why when we mess up, fall into sin, so many people just run from God. Say, oh, he doesn't want me back. And we just run further. God says, come home to me right now. I love you. That's why Jesus gives us the story of the prodigal son. If you come home, I'm here. I love you. I'm going to throw you a party. I'm glad you're here. Amazing. The grace of God is so amazing. Let me pray for us. Father, wow, what a, what a cool story of your grace. I pray that it would move in our lives far beyond a cute little kid's Bible story. It would be a story that shows us just how amazing your grace is to us. You could have left us. Or you could have just shown mercy and not punished us. But you also showed grace and loved us and cared for us and you protect us and you throw us a party and you welcome us with open arms and you give us eternity with you in heaven. You give us a hope and a future. You give us a new family. You give us a new life. You give us a fresh start. It's amazing, God. I pray for every single one of my friends in this room this morning that they would receive your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, like Newton, like them. I just commit these guys to you. Some people need to turn to Jesus. Will they do that right now? And trust in you. Turn from sin. Forsake it and turn to you. May they call out to you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, as the scripture says in Romans. And as we sing this song, I pray that they would just call to you and receive new life, fresh start, as the scripture says, become a new creature. Be adopted into a new family. Be given a new citizenship because of your grace. And I pray for those Christians in this room who just need it again. They're reminded that we are depraved. And we're prone to wander, as the song says. Maybe they feel it, as the song says. I just commit them to you. We thank you for your scriptures. We sing of your greatness in Jesus' name. Amen.